We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome into Friday, October 8th, 2021. And the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday to all of you. I'm Guy Benson, your host, political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. This show airs 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday, Monday through Friday. We hope that you listen every day. We appreciate it when you do. If you miss any of the live broadcast, we recommend our podcast. Free, on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In my capacity as a Fox News contributor, I'm excited to let you know this weekend I'll be co-hosting The Big Show on Saturday and on Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. There are four of us, and we sort of rotate through. And I know Emily Campagno is on the panel this weekend. I'm not sure. Maybe Joe Concha. It's a fun group. I remember seeing it. And uh, we're going to bring you some fantastic commentary at 5 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow evening and Sunday evening. Again, that's Fox News Channel. Here on the radio today, lineup is as follows. Dagan McDowell of the Fox Business Network, our buddy, she'll be here talking about a pretty rough jobs report that came out this morning for the month of September. Expectations were actually pretty decent for this jobs report, and boy, did it underwhelm. Didn't even come close to the experts' projections, and they were surprised again, right? Oh, unexpected underperformance. It's becoming a theme, is it not, under this president, under Joe Biden's administration on almost every front imaginable, come to think of it. In the next hour, Chad Pergram will be here, our colleague, who's over on Capitol Hill. There was a vote last evening on the debt ceiling, a punt, as expected, They got it through until December, and then we'll do it all over again. People are declaring victory. People are are actually angry at each other in advance of the next round of this skirmish. And one Democrat went out of his way to criticize Chuck Schumer over something that was said yesterday. And we'll tell you more about that later in the show. Some interesting drama on the left side of the aisle yet again. The Democrats are really having some trouble within their own camp. In our final hour, the happy hour, Kat Temp will be here, and Lord knows what we will talk to her about. My guess is we'll talk about comedy. I've got a few stories written down as part of the game plan, but with Kat, all bets are off. So we'll just discover together in the 5 o'clock hour what Kat wants to talk about here on the show. Fox News alert as we begin this Friday program. We'll bring you stats, coronavirus cases, all in cumulatively across the country since last March, 44.1 million cases, which is a vast undercount. The death toll with or of COVID in the United States, 710,342. 
that keeps climbing, the happier news is that cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are now all down double digits percentage-wise, right? Because deaths, that's the lagging indicator, as are hospitalizations. But deaths is the true lagging indicator. The fact that those are dipping now by double-digit percentages is obviously an indication that the Delta wave in some of the southern states truly has receded. The Dow at this hour is up 58 points in spite of that really bad jobs report. Dow is uh, in the green, not by a lot, but still it's up, trading at 34,817 with 50 minutes to go in the trading week. As we begin today's show, I feel like something that we've done on a number of occasions here on this show recently is we have made a conscious decision, myself as the host and then our team here, there are topics that I think the Biden White House, the Biden administration would be very eager for us to stop covering. So I look, for example, at my monitors right now in the studio, and I see on Fox News, we're talking about the jobs report. On Fox Business, they're talking about the economy and the jobs report. On MSNBC and CNN, they're talking about January 6th. Yesterday, we have all these channels on mute in here. In our final hour yesterday, the 5 o'clock hour, I would occasionally look up and check MSNBC, just what they're talking about. They did an entire hour only talking about abortion and Donald Trump. That's it. That hour hosted by a former Republican staffer, supposedly. I did not see a single dissenting voice at all. MSNBC, I know, state TV, we heard that a lot, didn't we, over the last four years? The Biden administration is failing in every facet of governance. And MSNBC has like every Planned Parenthood person showing up to talk about abortion. And then if that's not enough of a distraction, not to say that's not an important issue, it's one that I'm very passionate about, but they did half an hour on abortion, then half an hour on Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. They did an interview with someone talking about how it was difficult for women in the Trump administration to have their voices heard or something. I'm like, you you guys do know that it is October of 2021, right? We're getting close to a year out from the last election that you guys won. They're addicted to Trump. Their audience is, first of all, just dwindling, dwindling away on both of those networks, and they can't stop or break the addiction to Trump. Then on CNN, they talk about us. Constantly. Earlier this hour, I glanced up and they were talking yet again about Fox News. Oh, Fox News is covering the, these uh, these school board meetings and they're fanning the flames of anger. Well, I think a lot of parents have good reason to be angry. There should be no threats. There should be no violence. Those things have been extremely rare. And the way that CNN is covering a real phenomenon happening in the country and we'll get into woke tales later and all this stuff happening in schools, the way they cover it is, well, look at what Fox News is doing. Like we are just inventing out of whole cloth a very real story. 
And again, it's all on mute in the radio studio. And I just see these CNN anchors. It's like they all go to a, a training session where they say, this is the gravely concerned and disappointed face you have to put on your face when talking about Fox News. And I honestly wonder for these people at both of these networks, what would they do without Donald Trump and Fox News? Would they have news channels anymore? How would they fill their days? How would they fill their thoughts? What else would they pour into the empty canyons that are the souls of their audience to make sure that they remain as angry as possible all the time, if not for the former president and the competitor who kicks their ass every day? What else would they be doing? I don't know. Maybe one day we'll find out, but today is not that day. I understand that there's a January 6th commission. I was horrified by January 6th. We were on the air January 6th, live as it happened. It was one of the most disgraceful days in the history of the country. I have said my piece on that. Many of you agree. Many of you disagree. I put a lot of blame on the former president. I think it was a very dark chapter, and minimizing it is a mistake, and we should make sure that nothing like that ever happens again. Okay, let me stipulate all of that. But some of these other channels are treating it like it is the only thing happening in the United States of America right now. Stuff that happened last year under the previous president. And then what we here might be saying about it. Oh, did you see the the guys at Fox were all wearing masks at the ribbon cutting of their new studios in D.C.? What hypocrites. Um, There's a mask mandate in this city. I know the mayor doesn't abide by her own mandate, but it's still the law here. So if there were photos of us sitting around not wearing masks, then that would be the criticism. I mean, I guess some people watch this stuff. Not that many. I don't know who these people are. Oh, yeah, let me let me tune in again today. I got to get the I got to get half an hour in here on abortion and then hang on. Let's let's put that aside. We've heard enough from Cecile Richards promoting abortion for half an hour. We've got to get to see what Trump is up to. Yes. Tell us more about Dan Scavino. Trump's social media guy. Meanwhile, the jobs report was a giant miss. We have thousands of Americans still stuck in Afghanistan, stranded and abandoned by the president of the United States against the word that he put out clearly on national television for the world to see. We have a border crisis that is raging and getting worse. We have inflation costing families, what, $175? That's the new study per month in inflation costs. We have covid which I know we were told would be crushed by now, not so much. Biden today came out and blamed his economic failure on his COVID failure. And of course, he blames the COVID failure on Republican governors and and Fox News, right? Sensing a pattern here. It's never their fault. The giant crises that they're doing, they control everything. I know maybe they forget this from time to time. They haven't gotten the memo that they're completely in charge of everything. But they are. 
and the president's approval rating is tanking in multiple polls. Republicans are surging in multiple polls because the American people see all of this stuff. Joe Biden campaigned for president to be very different than what he has actually been. Familiar, competent, restoring some norms, working together, uniting the country. Is he succeeding on any of that? Honestly. And you ask people, hey, what's Joe Biden doing well? And all they can say very often is Trump, right? It's like the, if you can't, if you take away the possibility of referencing the last guy, take that out of the equation. Tell me what Joe Biden is doing well. I'd love to hear that answer. I'm sure Jennifer Rubin is hard at work on that column right now. Speaking of Afghanistan, before we break, I was planning to do an Afghanistan monologue because these competitors of ours and many in the mainstream press, they are doing what they can to deflect away. There was a Gallup poll that just came out. Trust in the media is just crashing. Almost no Republicans trust the mainstream media, obviously, for, for the reasons that we all understand. If you're on the right side of the spectrum, independence, it's down to like less than a third of independents trust the media. Vast majority of independents do not trust the mainstream media. The only people in the country who trust the media are Democrats. Right. Nearly 70 percent of Democrats trust the mainstream media in this Gallup poll, which makes sense because the media is run and populated by their fellow Democrats. So even when they do get tough on Biden, it's just for a little while, and then we all move on. And the border crisis, yeah, you'll get stories and reports here or there, but it's not around-the-clock, hair-on-fire type of coverage that you get when it's a Republican administration with even a fraction of this amount of failure or dishonesty or gaslighting. The standards are so obviously different. That's why we've gone out of our way to talk about, for example, the border crisis in detail. Because if we don't talk about it and use our platforms to keep attention on that story, the problem will fester. It will get worse and worse, exacerbated. The American people can see it, but it's being suppressed or people are sort of like, let's avert our eyes and talk about some other things. That's what the rest of the media is doing. Same with Afghanistan. They were tough on Biden when it was impossible not to be, when the crisis and the catastrophe was right in front of our eyes every single day. And now Biden, you know, he goes to the U.N. a few weeks ago. Let's all turn the page on this. And most of the media have done precisely that. We don't want to do that here. So here's what I will do. I'll take a quick break. I'll come back and bring you a few stories. Bing, bang, boom from Afghanistan, because that crisis is still happening. It might be out of sight, out of mind for most Americans. The media might be playing it down as much as possible. God knows the Biden people are not talking about it. They are just mum. Understandably, because they failed so miserably and the failures are ongoing, ongoing being a key word. I'll fill you in on some of those details in rapid succession as soon as we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show. We're going to talk about Afghanistan because the White House would prefer that we all just forget what is still happening over there. Earlier in the week, I want to give some credit. Three U.S. citizens and four British citizens were extracted from Afghanistan. It was a couple days ago. Jack Carr was involved in it. He posted a photo with the faces blurred out. He said special thanks, and he calls out some folks, including Daryl Issa, Dan Crenshaw, Michael Waltz. What do they have in common? They're all Republican members of Congress. The thank you is going to members of Congress who are freelancing this thing. Because I don't know where the State Department is. I don't know what the Biden administration's up to. But there was another Republican congressman who was recently quoted saying that the communication and coordination from the State Department under President Biden and Secretary Blinken has been, quote, deplorable. Saying they don't even necessarily return your calls. You've got these people working around the clock to try to rescue Americans and allies and the Biden people. It's sort of back burner for them at best. Meanwhile, at foreignpolicy.com, there was a harrowing story about how a lot of the U.S. allies who were counting on us and we made promises to them, they're giving up hope. The text message came in just after 2.30 a.m. Quote, there's a major search operation going on in Kabul tonight. If possible, stay out of sight, away from central areas. Our allies are, quote, hopping between safe houses day by day. As the Taliban, Islamic State, and other extremist groups hunt them down to jail them or more often beat or kill them. Biden says he's turned the page on Afghanistan. The page is not turned for these people. Then there's this story in the Sacramento Bee out in California. Did you know this? There are 41 elementary school students from California who are stuck in Afghanistan. I have no idea why the hell they were there in the first place, but there are dozens of American school children stranded in Afghanistan. And there are congressional representatives who are coordinated to try to get them back. The story did not mention any coordination with the Biden administration. Do you think we might be hearing about dozens of kids stranded in a terrorist-run country if Donald Trump were president? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And, of course, the report that we brought to you from CNN earlier in the week that the guy who blew up our service members in Kabul during the withdrawal was released from Bagram after we abandoned it. Just outrageous. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to Guy Benson. Back on the show, I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for listening. We are joined now on this Friday by our colleague and friend, Dagan McDowell, anchor and analyst on Fox Business Network, a business correspondent for Fox News Channel. She appears daily on Mornings with Maria, of course. And Dagan, it's great to have you in studio up in New York. Hey, Guy. And you're not blowing smoke either. We are friends. We <laughs> really are. Work. We are truly <laughs> friends. That, that is a real story, fact check, true. <laughs> And we have another one of our mutual friends coming up later on the show, Kat Timpf. So it's a very fun day here as we try to make it on the Guy Benson Show on Fridays, although not a fun day for the American economy, not a fun day at the White House as they are trying to spin this jobs report. I mean, there are misses and then there are misses. And today was not even close, was it, Dagan? No, it was a horrible jobs report. 194,000 jobs were added last month. It's There's a labor shortage. There are 11 million jobs that are open that that companies can't fill. And I heard President Biden, his late self, talking about this and bragging about the unemployment rate falling below right. 5%. Well, that's because about well almost 200,000 people left the workforce. They stopped looking for work. And so that's why the unemployment rate fell. People of working age who are not even out there trying to find a job. And these clowns are trying to sell the American people a new giant entitlement society, kind of new century welfare, if you will. Well, you need more people working and paying taxes to support this new entitlement society. So I don't know how that's going to go for them. They're... When faced with an untenable situation, they lie. Like listening to Jen Psaki talk about all those ships lined up off the coast of California, and that's not just the only port that's having problems. She said, well, we've got a task force that's on it. What's a task force going to do with (laughs) filling trucking jobs? I digress. No, no, but you're right. There's on the one talking point that they have, which is the unemployment rate dropped, it's because they have a denominator problem, right? The the underlying cause for the drop is actually worse. And when the expectations were from the experts, half a million jobs created, right? That was the expectation, right. the projection, 500,000, when they didn't even get to 40% of that number in the month of September. This is the thing, Dagan, coming out of this, uh, this COVID mess mm-hmm. with – so many people vaccinated and people trying to get back to normal. My anticipation was all they had to do, whether it was Trump or whether it was Biden, no matter who won the election, there was going to be a roaring recovery in the United States, in our economy in 2021, because the economy was fabulous in 2019. We were totally uprooted. All that success was uprooted and interrupted, of course, by this pandemic that started in China. It was covered up and lied about by the Chinese Communist Party. And then we would get a lot of people vaccinated. We would start to get back to normal. And if we didn't screw things up, the bounce back would be really robust and probably pretty quick. And yet that's not what's happening on any of those fronts. COVID is lingering. And they're trying to blame everything on COVID, by the way. We'll yeah, play some sound this, here in a second. Yeah, they did with his jobs report, for sure. Right. And then, and of course, COVID is part of it, although he promised to crush 
COVID, which has not happened. And they're blaming the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Their moving target is so obnoxious on what is good enough for uh, for herd immunity. That's another thing that we've talked about with mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci. He said, oh, yeah, we get to 70 percent. We're good. And we're past 70 percent. Well, no, never mind. It's not good enough. It's just one thing after another where the bounce back that I assumed would happen relatively easily uh, clearly is not happening. You mentioned the labor shortage. Why? Why is there such a labor shortage? Some of those you know, government incentives not to work have finally expired. Why does this continue to plague our economy? Well, the extra problem? unemployment benefits in the states that didn't cut them early only expired last month. So we haven't seen the full effect of those extra unemployment benefits going away. They in- increased. So the, maybe this month. Maybe this month, but they increased the child allowance. That extra money started going out up to people directly in the month of July. That's part of it. A lot of it is the and you you see greater complication in terms of the workforce at the state and local level with the vaccine mandates that there are people who are being fired or um, put on unpaid leave because they have not gotten vaccinated with mm-hmm. restaurants, for example, restaurants in New York City and coming up in in Los Angeles, they have to card people and ask for vaccination proof in order to eat in these restaurants. And it's just called, there are massive disruptions across the board. And quite frankly, seven-year high on gas prices, if you have to, let's say you're thinking about going back to work, but you've got to commute. Are you going to, if you've got a two-hour round-trip commute or even longer, that you do the cost-benefit analysis, it, does that pay? How much are you really taking home? And to point this out, every month this year, since Joe Biden was inaugurated, real wages in this country, and they did pick up last month, but real wages in this country, wages adjusted for inflation, they've been falling all year long. So when you people are paying more for their groceries, paying more for gasoline, if they're working, they're not making enough to cover, you know, their wage well, increases goes, are not are, are not offsetting the increase in prices for everything they need in their everyday life. And you mentioned fuel, and it goes to all sorts of other goods and services. Uh, of course, food is another big one. And I saw a study, I think it was from Moody's just out this week, estimating that the pinch of inflation is sort of when you when you run the numbers, it amounts to about one hundred and seventy five dollars. Per household, right in extra costs attributable to this inflation under the Biden economy, and I'm sure for someone like you know Nancy Pelosi or whomever, multi-millionaires, you know that doesn't matter. They absorb that easily, like it's nothing. But to most Americans, working people, middle class people, the folks that they pretend to represent and care about all the time, or they purport to, that is a, that's a real hit for families. Yeah, I always who are say trying to make. I always say. Nancy Pelosi is so out of touch. She orders Coco Vin at the Waffle House. So <laughs> she is a bad, bad judge of anything that has to do with someone who works for a living. I think that the calculation all along, and by the way, gas prices at a seven year high. What did uh, President Paul Paul do on his first day in office? He killed the Keystone XL pipeline. He banned new p- permits for drilling on federal land for natural gas and oil. Our production in this country is still below pre-pandemic levels. We've got a our, gave the our green storage. light to that pipeline over in in Europe right. to benefit 
Russia and Putin while shutting down our pipelines but, here. So that's that's the gas but this issue. Hurt, but this it, hurts jobs. This hurts job creation. When you don't have production is still lower than it was before the pandemic and the um, fuel or petroleum oil in storage is still lower. Our energy economy is one of the great engines of this country. It gives us, again, because it raises the standard of living because we've got plentiful, cheap fuel and uh, oil and get natural gas here but it so it creates jobs but it also raises the standard of living and so he's taken a hatchet to that this year but one other thing i they the calculation was to force smaller businesses to pay people more this was the backdoor 15 dollar minimum wage that they tried to get away with and f- these small businesses during the pandemic they didn't have enough revenue coming in now they're struggling to get product on their shelves they can't afford to pay people that much money not if you live in a rural well, area and so the calculation it has failed the Biden administration because some some of these businesses just can't afford to hire folks and then the, and you add you, on the when you raise I was going to say when you raise the cost of doing business that is not going to help the situation with jobs. Nope. When you have companies already struggling and these jobs numbers are so weak, what are the Democrats actively planning to do right now? Raise taxes on businesses and job creators. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of a it's actually insane. So Joe the Man- policy if, that they're proposing right there's, now. There's all this debate about you know Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are getting in the way of this. Well, that letter that that kind of memo that Joe Manchin sent in the middle of the summer, you know, his scale down one and a half trillion that he wants, it still raises the corporate tax rate. It still raises the top um, income tax rate back to almost 40 percent. That's just at the federal level and it raises capital gains taxes. So all of those things, particularly like for smaller businesses, raising the income, the top income tax bracket, that crushes them. So he's no fan of job creation and businesses. And there's an article in the uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal today about this child allowance that they started paying more. It runs through the end of the year. It started going out in the middle of the summer. That is a full welfare payment to parents. It is a fully refundable child allowance, meaning that you don't have to work. You don't need to earn a dime to get cut a check for you know, two kids, you get $7,200 a year for those children. That is that is pure, unadulterated welfare. And there was a study that was just done said that if that goes through, this is in that three and a half, really $5 trillion welfare monstrosity out of the um, left, but it's going to destroy a million to a million and a half jobs that people will not, they get extra money for their kids, they're not going to go to work. So, well, I mean, it, I continue to marvel, Dagan, at the fact that you've got really underperforming jobs and economic growth numbers and the Democrats are saying, well, let's raise taxes on job creators. And then we've got inflation that is not so transitory and the Democrats are saying, well, let's spend trillions of more dollars. I mean it's it's like this is what they're choosing to do with their agenda, with their power, regardless of what's happening out there. And with these failures piling up, you had Biden out there saying, oh, we're we're making progress. Look over here at this uh, this statistic that for reasons that you just described, Dagan, is not really illustrative of the current moment. And you have the press secretary blaming unvaccinated people because I guess the uh, the talking point memo went out. We're going to say this is all covid's fault and deflect away. Uh, That's what they're trying to do. 
it doesn't seem to be working for them. If you look at the polls recently, last word to you, Dagan. Everything that comes out of their mouths is a lie. And so they're telling the American people, whether it's the border, whether it's ships off the coast, whether it's filling up your gas tank and seeing and it costing a hundred bucks they're telling you to don't believe your lying eyes well our eyes aren't lying to us but you are yep and hey if you can fill up your gas you know your gas tank even if it costs a hundred dollars that's fine if you if you paid for it then it costs zero dollars that's another thing we've learned from them oh yeah also spending five trillions of dollars will help lower inflation this spending bill doesn't cost anything and saki said it's unfair and absurd if companies would raise prices if their taxes Uh went up so Uh they just i i can sit here all day and tell you everything yeah no the border's secure Yep. The borders closed and secure. Afghanistan was an extraordinary success just over and over again. It's just oh. it's amazing what, what they try to get away Al-Qaeda's with. Al-Qaeda is gone from Afghanistan. Yeah. Don't forget no, that. No, we whopper. literally could. Th- we could do this all day, yep. Dagan. Unfortunately, we're up on a break. So we have to take it. Dagan McDowell, our friend and our colleague at Fox News and Fox Business. Always fun, Dagan. Let's do it soon. Love you, man. All right. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. As we continue on The Guy Benson Show, we've mentioned quite a lot and we'll continue to do so in the next few weeks that there is a red-hot governor's race in Virginia. And last night, Terry McAuliffe, who's the Democrat, so this lifelong Democrat hack, Clintonite, Clinton fixer, he's been governor once before, he wants the job back. He sat down for an interview with a local news station in Virginia, and he was asked a bunch of questions, and they asked some tough questions to their credit. For example, we've brought this to your attention before, Terry McAuliffe, back when he was DNC chairman... A bunch of people in the left-wing base of the Democratic Party, they believed and said that the 2000 election was stolen and that George W. Bush didn't really win it. Of course, he did win it. It was not stolen. He won under the rules. Even if you took all the rules that the Democrats wanted to cherry pick, even under those circumstances, we later discovered, Bush would have won by a bigger margin in Florida. But a bunch of people in the Democratic base believe that it was a stolen election. And Terry McAuliffe stirred that pot and fueled that big lie, is what he would call it these days, over and over again. In fact, here's what it sounded like. Here's a flashback, cut 19. Let's go back to Florida. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. They stole the last presidential election. Wild cheers from the people today who'd be very angry when there are other people lying about an election. But when they lie about the election, it's good. And a lot of them would still insist to this day, well, 2020 wasn't stolen, but 2000 was. Some of them believe 2004 was stolen. A bunch of members of the Democratic Party in Congress voted not to certify the results, even of the 2004 election. People who now are in Powerful positions in Congress. But that was a lie. Right? The 2020 stolen thing is a lie. 
the 2000 stolen thing was a lie. But Terry McCall has been attacking Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, trying to call him an election truther in Virginia, even though that's not true. Youngkin has said Biden won the election. He would have certified that election if he were in Congress. McAuliffe also calls Youngkin an anti-vaxxer, even though Youngkin has cut a PSA in favor of the vaccine. McAuliffe is clearly willing to say anything. So he was called out by these local uh, reporters about what he said about the 2000 election, where he wouldn't accept that President Bush won. And they tried to get him to commit yesterday to say outright that George W. Bush won the election in 2000. Did he win a fair election? Yes or no? That was basically what they asked him. And McAuliffe started hemming and hawing and talking about the Supreme Court, and they stopped counting these ballots. He was going out of his way to avoid answering the question. To this day, he has the balls to say that Glenn Youngkin is an election truther or a big lie promoter when Terry McAuliffe, it's not true about Youngkin, not even close, and Terry McAuliffe himself continues to cling to his own partisan big lie about another election that the Democrats lost. The reporter came back at him and said, well, but yes or no, it's a yes or no question. Did Bush win the election? And McAuliffe literally threw up his hands. Hands go flying into the air. He says, well, look, yeah, once uh, once he's inaugurated, uh, you know, you got to stop. You got to give it up. Although clearly he didn't really give it up because the following year and beyond, he's still out there pumping up Democratic crowds lying about the outcome of that election. And one thing that he added, by the way, in that answer, because I don't have time to play you the entire exchange, but in that answer talking about his lies about the 2000 election, he said, let's be very clear, I wasn't running for governor. I wasn't. I was the chairman of the Democratic National Committee at the time. What the hell does that have to do with anything? He's like, oh, well, Now that I'm running for governor, I want to attack my opponent with a lie about election lies. When I was spreading election lies, let's be clear, I wasn't running for governor. What? You still said it. He was also asked about critical race theory. He said it's not taught in Virginia, which is not true. The anchors tried to get him to define critical race theory. He wouldn't do it. But he said people concerned about critical race theory and that whole umbrella of issues are racists and blowing dog whistles. But he wouldn't define it and he wouldn't talk about it. Fascinating election here in Virginia, right across the river. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. Our middle hour is underway here on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday, one and all. Very glad that you're listening, preferably live if possible. If not, we have the free podcast every day, GuyBensonShow.com foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. That's always an option for you. Programming note, I'll be co-hosting the big show Saturday and Sunday, Fox News Channel, 5 p.m. Eastern time each of those days with a fun panel. I hope you will tune in over the weekend for that. 
Fox News alert as we begin this middle hour. The Dow was in the green much of the day and then a sell-off at the very tail end of the trading day up in New York. The Dow closes down eight points, ending at 34,746. I am very excited to welcome back to the show Chad Pergram, who you all know. He's Fox's congressional correspondent, often up on the Hill. We always talk to him either by rem or by phone and then out of nowhere at 4 p.m. seven minutes ago into this studio walked chad pergram i had no idea you were going to be here with me face to face welcome into the new tony snow studio we are so thrilled and delighted and surprised that you're here it's fabulous to be here it's kind of like they beamed me in on star trek or yes. something you know because i don't leave the capital very much i, I thought you lived where there. i am yes I, I really do i have a place in the basement That's right. <laughs> this is a little, so this little studio apartment yes and you just happened to be at the bureau and they said oh yeah guy the, the studio's uh, right down the hall here because i was going to jump on the telephone with you is what we were going to do and they said oh no no just go down the hall that so been here we are actually really funny if you called in <laughs> from like 20 feet from here yeah. and then i saw you on my way out later like hold on so i'm glad that we figured this out and we have you here because there's a lot to discuss. So yesterday, a deal was struck between the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate to advance uh, legislation to basically punt the debt ceiling into December. So this concern about default perhaps happening in mid to late October, it's been forestalled by a few months Mitch McConnell seemed to be the one who spearheaded this effort. Some people are saying, oh, well, he blinked. He's saying, no, I didn't blink. What I decided to do was give the Democrats more time to get their act together. Our demands are still the same, namely the Democrats need to do this on their own when this rolls around again in a few months. Democrats were willing to accept, I guess, this compromise, but it feels like we're just going to do the exact same thing all over again in a few months' time. It might even be harder. And here's why. Because probably sometime between now and December 3rd, which is the deadline on on the debt ceiling again, that is when – that's the window here where Democrats hope to pass the infrastructure bill and their big social spending plan, whatever the size of that winds up being. Now, McConnell got a little bit of an advantage here. I know he's been hammered by the right for the past couple of days. But the fact that Democrats went down on the floor, Chuck Schumer in particular, and kind of spiked the football – really ignited these tempers. There were 11 Republicans who came across to vote. They did not vote to raise the debt ceiling. Let's be clear. What they voted on was to end the filibuster. Right. And and it's not unheard of in the Senate that you have somebody vote yes on a procedural vote, even if you oppose the actual bill. That happens all the time in the Senate. And McConnell had to deliver those votes to follow through on the deal. He did. That's right. He had 11 votes there. You only needed 10, so, so 11 votes. But when we get to December 3rd, Are Republicans going to be willing after Chuck Schumer spiked the football on this? Are they going to be willing to play ball? And here's the other thing that happens between now and then. As I say, they have to pass that big social spending package. They don't have to pass it. They want to. Right. But do they wind up as that being the only option for them? Again, reconciliation or that reconciliation package for the social spending bill or another reconciliation package just for the debt ceiling because – Republicans can then say, you guys were really bad to us. You passed this big bill. You said some pretty nasty things on the floor. We're really not helping you now. Right. And I saw some polling. I mentioned this yesterday that should things go down in a bad way on the debt ceiling, the party more likely to shoulder blame is the party in power, the Democratic Party. I mean, they can blame the Republicans all they want. The Democrats, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, just as a matter of fact, procedurally, 
if the Democrats wanted to use reconciliation to raise the debt ceiling without a single Republican vote, they have the power and the votes to do that. Yes, yes. you just need 50, and in this case, 51 votes with the vice president voting. The, the only difference is you have to raise the debt ceiling by a specific number. If you're doing it via reconciliation, you can't just suspend the debt ceiling, which is political more politically more palatable because you say we're going to suspend the debt ceiling through a date certain and therefore you don't assign a number. You can't do that during these special uh, budget reconciliation rules. You have to be able to – you have to assign a number to it. Right. That, it that number could be used to attack the Democrats saying look how much they're adding to the debt and you know look at this out-of-control spending. So the Democrats did exactly that to Republicans in 2006 right. when the Republicans were in charge and raised the debt ceiling without any Democratic votes. You mentioned this speech by Schumer and it's possible that it's sort of a 24-hour thing on Capitol Hill. People are upset or – People could have longer memories. So I want to play a clip of this tirade. This is, a, this is kind of a montage of some of the things that Chuck Schumer said. So McConnell came forward and said, let's not get to a default this moment. We still want you guys to do this alone. You keep pretending like you don't have the time to do it, even though we've been telling you about it for months. Let's buy a little bit of time. We'll get you past the cloture vote. We're not going to vote to increase the debt ceiling. You can do that. But – we're not going to do any more than that. And when December comes around, you're going to have to do this on your own using reconciliation. Schumer used that opportunity to say, aha, we stared down Mitch McConnell and we beat Mitch McConnell. And he used the opportunity, as you say, to spike the football and, and to really give an extraordinarily partisan speech when 11 Republicans went out of their way to kind of engage in this peace offering, at least temporarily, from, from Mitch McConnell and back up McConnell. This did not sit well with a lot of people. Here's what Schumer said yesterday. Part of it, cut one. Republicans played a dangerous and risky partisan game, and I am glad that their brinksmanship did not work. Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans insisted they wanted a solution to the debt ceiling, but said Democrats must raise it alone by going through a drawn-out, convoluted and risky reconciliation process. That was simply unacceptable to my caucus. And yesterday, Senate Republicans finally realized that their obstruction was not going to work. Okay, so and on and on he went. And what's interesting is after he gave this speech, which was not conciliatory at all, in fact, it was just the opposite. He came out and and was just uh, firing uh, partisan broadsides every which way. There was widespread reporting that some of the Republicans who had effectively crossed the aisle were so angry that they went up to Schumer and perhaps used even some unparliamentary language saying, you know, what the hell did you just do there? Um, telling reporters later, given the posture of Chuck Schumer and the way that he handled this, we will never again be a party to helping him in any way. Mitt Romney, who's a pretty mild-mannered guy, went up and confronted Schumer on the floor. And most interesting, as Schumer delivered these remarks, sitting right behind him on camera on C-SPAN was Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia, whose vote he needs on everything. Manchin was visibly upset, shaking his head, head in his hand, scowling. He covered his head in his hands, right? And at one point, he got up and left. He had seen enough. He couldn't take it anymore. And he went on to tell Schumer to his face that it was a bad thing that he had done and told reporters that it was totally inappropriate for Schumer to have done that. Is this a flash in the pan? 
or could this create problems for Chuck Schumer in the near future and medium-term future looking ahead to December? Joe Manchin is probably not going to oppose any sort of social spending bill or infrastructure bill or whatever based on a spat with Chuck Schumer. He's going to vote based on what is in the bill if it is something that he likes and is good for West Virginia. And if it's, you know, he gets what he wants, that $1.5 trillion figure here. But Joe Manchin has been outspoken about the idea of partisanship in the Senate. He says it's a, you know, a very low ebb. He talked about going into this. Uh, he, he said, I, you know, before we even had a deal, he said the, the minority leader McConnell and the majority leader Schumer, they need to come together and work this out. And here's the other very interesting thing in all of this is that people were trying to game out what Mitch McConnell's uh, you know, strategy was here. And, and they said, well, you know, Democrats were going to change the filibuster provisions here mm-hmm. and, and, and do a carve out just for uh, the debt. De- they didn't have the votes, though. That's right. And I saw all of this reporting on this guy and I was, it was making my head spin because I said – They never had the votes. Manchin had said he wasn't going to vote for this. We reaffirmed with him yesterday that that was the case. Kirsten Sinema, who never talks to the press, was probably not going to be for this either. So how you – you know, you have to get 50 plus one. So that was never going to happen. But Manchin was – you know, if you're you're trying to get Joe Manchin to do something like that maybe, you know, really push the envelope with Joe Manchin, he's not going to do that. But when it comes to actually voting Mm -hmm. on the bill, he'll vote on the merits or demerits of that bill. Sure. But this left a very bad taste in his mouth about the way that Schumer decided to comport himself yesterday, using this as an opportunity to sort of pretend like they had won some great victory, which is highly debatable. Especially since you have to fight it again in less than two months. Exactly. And then some of the Republican votes that McConnell was able to deliver from the GOP side of the aisle just to get to the vote on the debt ceiling to overcome the filibuster. Right. A few of them now are on the record saying, nope, not doing that again, because this guy was such a jerk. Why would why would we ever help him in any way again? That could come into play. Yes. A few months. December well, is not. Republicans are not going to help them probably next time. They're going to say we wanted reconciliation to be used. We wanted you guys to take it on the chin and do this. And on they're your offering own. to expedite it, aren't they? Saying like, well, Lindsey Graham said that. But Lindsey, you know, you talk about interparty fighting, Manchin and, and and Schumer. How about Lindsey Graham and McConnell? Yep. I mean, he had some very pointed things to say yesterday about uh, the majority leader, the minority leader, and said, you know, we capitulated. He said we were winning on this issue and we caved. We have about a minute left, Chad. December is going to be extremely busy on Capitol Hill. Just run us through, if you can, in 30 seconds, run us through what we have to look forward to in the month of December. Well, they have to lift the debt ceiling again. That's due about December 3rd. The government would shut down on December 3rd. And somewhere between, as I say, now and then, they have to pass the infrastructure bill in the House. Again, you don't have to do that. And they have to pass the reconciliation package in both the House and Senate. Maybe this gets all enrolled into one gigantic bill that the Democrats do, frankly. I mean, I I can't believe the size of a bill like that, but that could be the possibility. But as I always say, August is really a rotten month on Capitol Hill. Christmas time, the holidays are worse. Andy Williams has the song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. (laughs) Not on Capitol Hill. Yeah, Obamacare, tax cuts, this stuff. It always We voted on Christmas Eve day in the Senate on Obamacare in 2009. Merry Christmas, courtesy of our dear friends in Congress and covering it all, Chad Pergram. Fox News correspondent on Capitol Hill. Chad, thank you. We'll be right back. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. We're back on The Guy Benson Show. Well, this is one hell of a correction in the New York Times. They published it yesterday, correcting on multiple fronts an article written by one of their correspondents, Apoorva Mandavili. We have mentioned her before on the air because of some of her tweets. She is a science and health reporter. She was the one you might remember who tweeted that the lab leak theory on the COVID origins was racist. It had racist origins. Remember that? Yeah, much science, much journalism. And the Times published one of her pieces and then had to correct it with this. Quote, an earlier version of this article incorrectly described actions taken by regulators in Sweden and Denmark. They have halted use of the Moderna vaccine in children. They have not begun offering single doses. The article also misstated the number of COVID hospitalizations in the United States for children. It is more than 63,000 from August 2020 to October 2021, not 900,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. In addition, the article misstated the timing of an FDA meeting on authorization of the Pfizer vaccine for children. It is later this month, not next week. Aside from that, though, is a great story filled with important information. So I guess the changes they're making in Scandinavia on the Moderna vaccine and kids, she got that wrong. She got the date wrong on an upcoming FDA meeting, which is a relatively small thing. But again, small things matter in journalism and credibility and accuracy and so on. To me, the biggest correction in this meaty paragraph of oops was this sentence. The article misstated the number of COVID hospitalizations among American children. The true number from August of last year till October of this year, so now, is 63 American kids who were hospitalized with COVID, not necessarily come from COVID, not necessarily from COVID. She had written that the number was 900,000. And I'm not great at math, but I know that 63,000 is not even in the same stratosphere as 900,000. All right, off by well over a factor of 10. And this goes to one of the frustrations that we've had here on this show about the entire national conversation about the risk to children, which is extremely low from COVID, thank goodness, on death and going to the hospital. It is extremely rare for kids on both fronts, especially kids dying from COVID and being hospitalized because of COVID. These are extremely rare events, and the New York Times science and health correspondent blew that number by more than a factor of 10 in her reporting. I saw a number of different people pointing out, you know, the Times used to have a reputable, well-respected veteran science correspondent who wouldn't make these types of mistakes, all of these mistakes, for example, in a single story. Whatever happened to him? And the backstory, of course, there, if you might remember, was that he was fired from the New York Times because he had gone on a trip with some high school students, I guess, to Peru years ago, two or three years ago. He was asked about some sort of racial incident and a racial slur. 
The kids asked him about something that had happened at their school. He responded and tried to answer their question. It was deemed to be problematic the way he answered the question. This then was dredged up years later, and there was a woke purge to try to get him out, the New York Times. And the Times leadership at first looked at the facts and said, no, this is not fireable. This is not a problem. We have looked into it and we're not going to take further action. And the woke people inside the newsroom who run the show at the New York Times, right, the 1619 Project and all of their buddies, that whole crew, they said not good enough. We don't care what his intent was. We don't care what the details are. We insist that he must go because racism. And the woke mob scalped him. They took him down even after management initially had said, no, this is not fireable. They were under immense pressure. So out he went. So he's out no longer doing this type of journalism for The New York Times. But Apurva Mandavili is with her error riddled articles and her hysterical biased tweets. Is this what we call equity in journalism, perhaps? A little uh, taste of woke tales here. Speaking of which, we'll just whet your appetite. We've got a full-blown woke. We've got a full-blown woke tale segment coming up next, which you do not want to miss. Some wild, shocking, but frankly unsurprising developments at the University of Michigan, at MIT, and in New York City public schools. We've got details coming up. News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We are back on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. And as promised in the previous segment, it is time for Woke Tales. Let's start at the collegiate level. I saw a story from Barry Weiss's Substack about a professor from the University of Chicago who has been disinvited or a lecture has been canceled. He's a scientist. He's apparently brilliant. He was supposed to speak in this prestigious slot at MIT, but the woke left got very angry at him. They've been mad with him a few different times over the years because he's against their whole racket. And he said so publicly, and he's been concerned about identity politics and all this stuff taking over academia. And he's spoken out about it. He's written about it, saying it's not a healthy environment on campus where people are afraid to say things or share certain views or opinions. So he's been preaching and beating the drum on open-mindedness, on merit on equality versus equity. Equality is something that we should all believe in. Equity is a woke perversion of equality, where equality is no longer good enough and you have to, in fact, discriminate in order to achieve something through this social experiment to get to equity. Right? That's how they've kind of turned it on its head, where equality now is insufficient when it comes to a remedy for all of our societal ills. 
So this professor at U Chicago has said these things, and therefore he was drummed out of this scientific lecture, totally unrelated, at MIT. And the administration at MIT just completely caved, just folded, because some people got together and signed a letter. And I'd imagine some of the letter signatories were probably pressured into it. So much of this stuff is built on bullying on top of bullying. And everyone is so afraid of everyone else that you just go with the herd to avoid your own scalp getting collected. It's unsustainable. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's un-American. But this is what's happening. It's in our popular culture. It's in corporate America. It was birthed on campuses, and it's worse than ever in a lot of these places. And where administrators and faculty and others just decide to retreat and do the bidding of this loud, angry fringe, when that happens, it incentivizes more of it. And the more often you cave, the more often you collapse, the more often people take notice of that and say, okay, we can get our way by employing exactly these these exact same illiberal tactics over and over again. And that's precisely what they've done. And they've exported that mentality from campus life, where it's just, you know, a bunch of undergrads and graduate students who are often the worst, although sometimes the faculty is right up there. They've taken the surreal academic bubble and they have exported that model of outrage and punishment across the entire country, which is why the term cancel culture resonates with so many people. It's not just a rare circumstance being blown out of proportion by right wingers. There's a story like this constantly. Over and over again, which is why we have this recurring segment. Meanwhile, at the University of Michigan, a professor has been forced to step back from a class he was teaching. Why? Because this professor, who escaped the cultural revolution in communist China, came to the United States He is a highly accomplished composer, conductor, and pianist. His music has been featured at the New York Philharmonic, the Chinese National Symphony Orchestra, the New York City Ballet, and on and on it goes. His name is Bright Sheng, and he is the Leonard Bernstein Distinguished University Professor of Composition at the School of Music, at the University of Michigan. It's their school of music and theater and dance. And he is quite an impressive faculty member that they have there. In a recent class, he showed a video to undergrads that portrayed some blackface. What was this portrayal? Well, it was the 1965 version of Shakespeare's Othello, in which Laurence Olivier darkens his skin to portray the tragic main character. Back in 1965, so well over half a century ago, is when this film was produced. And this poor professor, who escaped communist China, 
right, in the Cultural Revolution. Now he's in the middle of a similar struggle session akin to, in some ways, the Cultural Revolution and all the Maoist destruction over there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He did not realize that showing a clip of this classic film would be such a grave offense, but apparently it is. He had no malicious intent. You had students who decided, we don't want to learn from this man. We don't want to learn the subject matter here. We are interested in being the woke police, and we're going to snitch, and we're going to make sure that this becomes a huge thing. Because they didn't feel safe. There was no safe environment provided by the University of Michigan because students were subjected to this clip from this 1965 movie. Obviously, by today's standards, blackface is unacceptable, and I've made that point previously. Now, I guess if you're the prime minister of Canada, who's a lefty, it's okay. Totally forgivable. You can get reelected. If you're the governor of Virginia and you're a Democrat, it's fine. But if you are a Chinese-American professor at the University of Michigan who shows a clip from a movie from 1965 that included darkened skin, as opposed to Justin Trudeau who wore blackface as an adult fairly recently. Ralph Northam in Virginia wore blackface or a Klan hood, one or the other, as an adult and was photographed. That stuff is forgivable. I guess this is not, though. Showing Lawrence Olivier in Othello in this composition class at the University of Michigan from a 1965 movie. So there's a story about this in local media in Michigan, and they quote students who are just horrified that this was allowed to happen and there was so much damage done and This was an affront to their safety, and on and on it went. He apologized immediately when this all came to his attention, how upsetting this was. So he said, look, this was not my intention. I'm very sorry. Then, like, the dean of the program sent out this huge email apologizing, and then he apologized again, Professor Sheng did. The incident was reported to the Office of Equity at the University of Michigan, But the apology, the second apology, just groveling from this professor, then became part of the problem, of course, because the apology itself was problematic. So then he was sort of being forced to apologize for the second apology that he made about the initial infraction. Graduate students at University of Michigan decided to really whip this up into a frenzy. There were emails Flying around denunciations, of course. There's an open letter. We wouldn't have one of these controversies without a self-righteous, completely over-the-top, hysterical open letter. And a bunch of quivering, terrified administrators and faculty members going along with all of it. Because that's how these things play out. Because there was a failure to create a safe environment. So now Sheng has stepped down from this class because he and his superiors felt it was the correct thing to do. You think about how distinguished and accomplished this man is. And now a bunch of undergraduates are going to be robbed of the opportunity to study under him because of this. 
where the apologies pile up and then the apologies themselves become the story and they always reject the apology and nothing is ever good enough because they put people in the crosshairs. And by the way, I saw some of the clips of faculty members who turned on this man, a fellow member of the faculty. He is, by the way, I will note, a person of color. A bunch of these people hounding him, coming after him, are lily white. I guess they're trying to inoculate themselves against any sort of recrimination against them. But guess what? If the mob comes for them in the future, nothing that they've done in the past will matter. There's no context. There's no perspective. There's no grace. It is just the knives come out and the mob people go to work. And unless there are adults who will firmly and confidently stand up to these people and say, no, we will continue to see this. And as we started warning years ago, it will not be contained to the halls of academia and the ivory tower. That is clearly already the case. This is metastasized all over the United States and our culture. What a deeply ridiculous, unserious country we are becoming. And we will be on the fast track to decline if we continue to allow these types of people, and it's just a small fraction of people, dictate the terms and push everyone else around. I'm sick of it. By the way, at the end of this story at michigandaily.com, about this whole incident, there's this little coda. Professor Sheng is not the only faculty member from this program to have come under criticism in recent years. In 2018, a Michigan Daily investigation into Stephen Ships, a former professor and chair of strings at SMTD, discovered over 40 years of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct allegations against Professor Ships. In 2019, Former SMTD professor David Daniels was arrested on charges of sexual assault. He was fired from the university in March of 2020. It is amazing to me that in this news coverage of a professor who meant absolutely no harm by playing a clip of Othello from 1965 in which one of the more famous actors of all time darkened his skin for a role over half a century ago, that transgression against wokeness is lumped in in the news reporting with literal sexual assault, like criminal assault. Like, oh, well, this isn't the first controversy. There was that 40 years of sexual harassment and misconduct by the one guy and the sexual assault charge from the other guy, and now here we have... A clip that was played from Othello. All just all just the same. Amazing. Although it's not really that amazing, is it? Some people are defending Shang. A lot of others are not. One of the few who's out there taking some swings on behalf of his friend and colleague is saying there are a lot of other people in the faculty and in the music world who agree that this is ridiculous, but they are too afraid to say so which is another hallmark of these types of stories because good, normal, sane people keep their mouths shut because they're terrified of the psychos, but the psychos are running the show because the people in charge bow to the psychos.
And then last but not least in this segment, Bill de Blasio in New York City officially announcing that the gifted and talented programs in New York City public schools are going away. If you're currently in them, you're grandfathered in, but they will be discontinued in the future. It's for equity, of course. Sorry, they're making it all about race. They're making it all about so-called fairness and equity, and they are taking an extremely valuable program that has helped kids, by the way, escape poverty, escape difficult circumstances because of their God-given ability. They're saying, well, that's not fair. Because all of our children are gifted in different ways, and this is not equitable, so let's take that ladder to success and let's chop it down in the name of equity. We can't have actually gifted and talented academic students benefit too much from that. My goodness, heaven forbid. And so opportunities will be denied to those kids moving forward in New York City. This is not just fringe stuff. This has gone mainstream. We do woke tail segment all the time because wokeness is consuming this country. Poll after poll shows that we hate it. The overwhelming majority of us loathe it. And yet they keep winning. And they're going to keep winning until the rest of us do something about it and put an end to it. Maybe that day will come. Maybe it won't. I hope it comes because that's why we do these segments. This is why we talk about it on this show as often as we do. What a travesty for those kids in New York City. Not to mention MIT and the University of Michigan and on and on and on it goes. Quick break. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show resumes after this. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show. Coming up in our final hour, Kat Timpf will be here. Fridays with Kat. We always look forward to that. I might, in fact, ask her about this next subject, which I will address briefly. I did watch last night the Dave Chappelle comedy special on Netflix, his latest performance. And I saw that the woke crowd was very angry at him again. I was unaware that he had a new special until all the angry tweets started and the threats about cancellation. Oh, we're going to go get him. We're going to boycott Netflix, all of it. I said, oh, thanks for the heads up. I'm going to go out of my way to go watch this now. And I will say along the way, I cringed at times. I winced at times. I gasped a few times. And I did laugh a lot. He is clever. He's insidious. He sets you up for what you think he's going to say, perhaps as a punchline. Then he surprises you. He is really good at what he does. Now, I don't care who you are. In all likelihood, watching Dave Chappelle and his stand-up, In this case or other cases, he's going to say stuff that makes you uncomfortable or that you might disagree with. That should be completely fine and normal among sane people. You can say, oh, here's a comedian saying things. I don't like the things that he's saying. I'm not going to go see his shows in the future. Or I might tweet something that, oh, I wish he hadn't said X, Y, or Z. You know, it's it's your prerogative. It's a free country. But 
unsurprisingly, and he obviously predicted this, they are coming hard after him because he planted his feet against the woke mob in this special. He said, okay, I see what you're going to do. I see what you have done, and uh, we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to make the exact same kinds of jokes, and let's do this thing because you can't cancel me. Very clever, well-crafted comedy, even if you don't love it. I think any group was probably going to be offended at some point by Dave Chappelle, and to me, that's just fine. That's kind of the point. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Coming up next, don't go anywhere. Cat Timph, straight ahead. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Oh, yes. Happy Hour on a Friday. On the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com, the website here at the show. You can listen live. You can also go to Odyssey.com for that. A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. All sorts of ways to catch the show as it airs, including on our great affiliates, dotting the country. If you can't listen as we air, there's a podcast for that. It is growing in popularity. It is free. It is on demand. It is seven days a week. Bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or many of the different avenues where you get your free podcasts, we are there. And we, of course, recommend and request, if possible, that you would at least consider subscribing. We love that. We love to see it. Happy Hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. It's really good. I will be having some this weekend. Not too much because I'm co-hosting The Big Show Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. So got to be at the top of my game. On the TV. But I'll have a long drink or two over the course of the weekend. TheLongDrink.com is their website. Delicious. TheLongDrink.com, 21 plus only as always, and drink responsibly, no matter what. As we begin our final hour of the week here on the show, let's welcome back our friend and our colleague, Kat Timpf, Fox News contributor, co host of Gottfeld, exclamation point, every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel, co host of the Tyrus and Timpf podcast at foxnewspodcast.com. It is Fridays with Kat. And hello, Kat. Welcome back. Hi, Guy. Hi. (laughs) I am very eager to hear from you about your experience in Nashville. You guys took the show last week to Nashville, Tennessee. You did all of your show taping down there in the Music City. It looked awesome. The crowds were big. Was the energy just through the roof? It was So it was like one of the best weeks of my life, but it also probably took several years off my life. Um, I got to do it again. It was so great. Um, I mean, like here in New York, it's it's one thing. And then, you know, you see the numbers of the show. It's doing well. But then you go somewhere where like a lot of people actually watch it and you're like, oh, yeah, people do love this show. Like. Uh, it was incredible. The energy was incredible. I mean, it was a lot of work, obviously, but it was so worth it. And it's just, you know, I was dancing. I was doing a lot of dancing. I mean, like, 
uh, I was working a lot during the week, stayed during the weekend so I could have some fun. And we were at like, you know, one of those bars with live music, the band's and all these covers. And there's like this one, the bass player is like a total like metalhead guy. And then there's like this, you know, guy on the drums with like long hair. He's like a, you know, punky looking guy. And like, I'm dancing like a fool, as you've seen, you know how I dance. And they're like, these like in between songs, they're like, are you cat? They're like, we love the show. And the drummer guy, I mean, he's like wearing like, these guys are not like what you would think, right? Like watch Fox. They're like, he's like, I got a DVR because I never want to miss it. And I was like, it's just wild to actually see it. Because in New York, it's like, not yep. people don't really care. That's exactly what Bill Hemmer was saying yesterday on the 25th anniversary of Fox News. Like you get out into the country. Yeah. And you're often reminded, wow, there really are so many people who watch Fox. Yeah. And Nashville is a very, very fun town to oh, begin yeah. with. And doing that show down there, I hope you guys are going to take that show on the road occasionally to other places because I think it's a great idea. And I say that because I hope you bring me. Please bring me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Greg and I are, are are way on that. I mean, it was it was the best. The energy was so good. It, it was it was just so much fun. And with the kind of show that it is, I mean, feed off of an audience. You know, it's 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 super fun to see people having fun because then we have more fun and then they have more right. fun. It just feeds off of itself, exactly. which is sort of the goal. And it's funny. And you guys keep winning in the ratings against mm-hmm. the you know actual full-blown comedy shows with massive writing teams and huge budgets and all of that, Kimmel and Fallon and Colbert. Uh, it's almost like I just shrug now when I see that you guys have won again because it's what you're now making a habit of doing, which is awesome. I don't know if you caught any of Saturday Night Live over the weekend. I did not. Mm-hmm. I just saw later their opening sketch about – Democrats and reconciliation that was both unfunny and ignorant and inaccurate about what's actually happening in Washington. And it's just like the progressive left decided these are our talking points. Let's make a sketch out of it. And that will be hilarious. I almost wonder, could you guys go to six nights a week and start beating SNL as well? <laughs> More work. No, probably. Look, it's it's it's. You know, it's crazy. I mean, I did not see SNL, but I mean, last week we talked about, you know, that uh, dancing syringes sketch on Colbert, right? Which was deeply, deeply unfunny, which is fine. But what was interesting as I was watching it, other than how brutally- And and by the way, just to jump in, if if you haven't seen what she's talking about, Colbert did a bit. I don't even, like, can I call it a bit? They had a performance. Mm -hmm. Something happened on his comedy show where they got some grown men dressed up as syringes, mm-hmm. and this was, I guess, to support vaccinations, which I support, but it was so bad it almost made me question my support for vaccines. <laughs> yeah. this was. Right, like, and I've, they played the song Tequila. Yeah, there's like vaccine And they all danced around to this song in syringe costumes through the aisles, and the audience, by the way, is not wearing masks. Because right. of television. If it was a Broadway theater, one block away, you must wear masks. But because of the magic of TV, you don't have to wear masks because science. So all the audience members are sitting there like sort of nervously laughing. Like this is delightful and funny and we are having fun when in fact it was painful. And then when you get to the only lyric of the song Tequila, which is tequila, they replaced it with vaccine. They didn't even get the right number of syllables. They just yelled da 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 vaccine. Yeah, and you that know was what? the whole bit. And dancing around this is this is like what I was gonna say that makes it so crazy. Dancing around doesn't really do it justice. It wasn't dancing around. It was a choreographed dance, which and these costumes were very complicated. So I mean. I look at the sketch, and not only is it bad, it's like probably thousands of dollars spent it's on the sketch. Okay, these va- there was a costume designer, there was a costume fitting, there was all these, you know, 
choreography that they practiced. And the way that we do things is we'll roll in and someone will have an idea, be it me, be it Greg, be it one of the Joes, be it Gene, whatever. And like, okay, idea. We sit down for like 15 minutes to 30 minutes. All right, how are we going to do this? And then usually as we're filming, we come up with it and we're shooting it on iPhones. And like, like that's what we don't have a costume guy, right? Like we don't have a choreography guy. We have, you know, two and a half writers basically um, and, and to see compare that to what we're doing and to still be in, it blows my mind the amount of labor and money Kat, that went like, into that sketch if you guys had done that sketch at the very like if you were all horribly hungover and you had to do this sketch <laughs> that never at happens on our team <laughs> you, you at the very least would have come up with something even half clever like at least yelling vaccina so yeah. it's somewhat close to tequila instead of just Vaccine, And you know what else we I'm, do sometimes is we'll have an idea. We'll try saying and we'll say, you know what? This isn't working. We're not going to let's scrap this. <laughs> like right. we, we are we care. We care about each other and we care about the show enough to say, let's scrap this. That ha- of course, that happens everywhere except for apparently Colbert, because nowhere in that process of the costume fitting, costume design, making the costumes, choreography rehearsal. Did any one of those bajillion people say, I don't think this is that good. Well, and the thing is, Kat, and we can move on from this in a second, but Stephen Colbert is a funny person. He is capable of of being extremely funny. You've seen these guys. They don't end up on these shows by accident. They have good sense of humors. They're creative, all this stuff. But ultimately, it seems like they've all just been handed the same songbook and the same memo. And it's like you can't really do edgy, interesting comedy anymore. It has to be this boring lecture session every night and some of them are worse than others on this front where it's just a drag Mm -hmm. and they are repressing actual comedy to sort of check certain ideological and tribal boxes and the shows are suffering for it and you guys are obviously filling the gap i want to ask you on this similar front but shifting to stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. and the world of comedy you did some stand-up in nashville right as part of the show yeah well Yes, I did. What happened was it was Thursday night after the show. And they're like, oh, we don't have a comedian for tomorrow. And then Joe Mackey pointed at me and I was like, I have not been on stage since before the pandemic. And then Greg was like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to do it. And I was like, okay, yes. Like, you know me now I have to. So I did. Yes, I did. (laughs) Um, But uh, I mean, stand up comedy. I love stand up comedy. I used to do it very often. I did it on and off for 10 years. I used to do it every night for a while in my mid 20s. Uh, but as I got this job, I, you know, started doing it less and then I quit for a little bit then I got back into it and then I quit in the pandemic. And then because I'm absolutely completely psycho, I decided to get back on stage for the first time in a year and a half on television. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In front of millions of people, in addition to the what dozens or hundreds who were in the theater. Oh yeah. I was really nervous. How'd that go? I saw a few of the clips. I thought Mm -hmm. it was funny. Yeah, it went well. Um, but I was terrified. Um, but it went well. I, you know, I I just, I'm somebody who I I worked it out mathematically. I said, either I'll be depressed. So if I do it, it might go back. If it goes well, I'll be really happy. If it even goes okay, I'll be happy. If it goes horribly, I'll be depressed. But if I don't do it, I'll be depressed about not doing it. So mathematically, the only option that Mm -hmm. gives me some chance of anything, you know, mental, anything other than mental anguish is that I have to do it. So did a little math there. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's healthy. Thank you. Uh, what you just said there. I'm feeling good <laughs> Most about. Most things I say Feeling are. good about you. <laughs> uh, have you seen this uh, Chappelle special? I watched it last night. We talked about it a bit last hour. You got the usual suspects real mad about it, 
And the whole point to me of specials like this and guys like that and comedy in general is to push buttons, say things that push boundaries, get edgy. And if you laugh, if it's funny, that's the cure, right? Like that's you're fine. If your job is comedy and you make people laugh, you're allowed to cross boundaries that people, for example, like I cannot. But you've got these woke scolds. I call them the uptight citizens brigade who've now been doing this for years, waging war on comedy and trying to apply standards to comedians that they would also apply to like politicians. Right. Pathetic. And and the thing that only thing I agree with everything you said, except for the part we said, if it's funny, because the thing about stand up, unfortunately, which is why it's so terrifying and a horrible thing to do to yourself is there's really no way to know if it works until unless you try it. And sometimes you try it a million times and it works. And then in some room it won't. You have to you know, you have to have the freedom to swing and miss. You know, you're going to miss sometimes. And um, it's this is also not just your theory that, you know, he's, you know, trying to push the envelope. I when when his last special when everyone went after that special I wrote a piece for National Review uh, which is like one of two magazine pieces I wrote while I was there about about all of this and about how people liked it and even though the critics hated it but saying that he is trying to push the envelope it's not a theory he straight up said I am doing these jokes because people are getting canceled over these jokes and I'm going to keep doing this stuff because I don't think because I can't get canceled like he has enough money where it's like he'll be fine no matter what happens I mean he's like one of the greats uh, and he's rich and like he's not really cancelable but it's it I hate when people make the conversation is it funny or not do I agree or do I disagree it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because that, that that's what comedy you know is about is not being afraid. And when it does hit in, it can be something so powerful when it's about some of the toughest or most complicated things, because those are the things where we need laughter the most and we can't make people too afraid to try. But that's what they're exactly yes. attempting to do. Yes. Um, and he, in this special, as I was saying, I mean, it's just like a, an hour long middle finger to yep. those people. Yep. And then he um, said straight up, couched, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yep. Couched, I think very cleverly, but that's what he did. And I mean, he didn't just sort of attempt a glancing blow on some of this nope. stuff. He's like, I'm going to plant my feet on these issues for 30 minutes in a row. Yeah. And I'm going to have my say and you're going to cringe and you're going to laugh. And that's going to be OK because this is what I do. And I've already walked away from like 50 million dollars before in my life. So right. you're not going to cancel me. Yeah. And he, uh, which yeah. is which is true. All right. Cat, we're up on a break. Let's take it real quick. When we come back, a revelation about a famous singer, a pretty famous singer, plus a new study about marriage. We will get Cat Timp's take as soon as we return to the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk. Generation of talk. Guy Benson. Happy. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The hour on The Guy Benson Show. Kat Timpf, our friend, is here with us for Fridays with Kat. Quickly here, a few topics that I want to get to before we have to let you go. And they involve... Uh, married life, yeah. and now you're an expert on married life. Yes, I've been old, married now for about for months. five months. Yeah, yeah. And so, have you seen this story about Megan Trainer, the singer, and the toilets and, next to each other? Yeah. So she and her husband, I guess, have side by side couples toilets, and this was revealed. Now she's under criticism. She's defending it. 
Uh, I'm sure there's an all about that bass joke to be made somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, I thought of her song, Dear Future Husband. I wonder if he knew this is what he was getting into. Yeah, there's no toilet Side by song. side. Yeah. Toilet. <laughs> she didn't mention it explicitly, but perhaps uh, that came to his attention at some point. This is something that I'm into or I want to do. Um, yay or nay on the couple's toilets? Um, it's a hard nay uh, for me. Yeah. I also... Ugh. Okay, like if they want to do that, that's fine. Like I'm not here to kink shame, um, but like <laughs> they had to know. Like they also didn't have to tell everybody. <laughs> like you have to realize that this is not something like that people are gonna say. Oh yes, of course, me as well. Like yeah. no, oh yeah, it's a the weird old thing. side by side toilets. We love that. Oh, right, they came out with this. Like, what did you <laughs> expect other than exactly what happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, we are talking about Megan Trainer, which might be go. kind of a, a net win for her there, right? Yeah. I think it's it's been a couple of years, perhaps, since her latest hit. Perhaps she can parlay this into a new hit. Yes, except it would not be relatable because it's not a thing. <laughs> but I, I, look again, I I am somebody who very much you know decides to not let my life be guided or hindered, as I would say, by social norms, okay? I think they hold us back. The one where you poop alone, I'm, I like that one. I'm looking up, there's a country music song that's relatively popular. Is it called The it One Where be, You Poop Alone? Nope, nope, it's Keith Urban, and I think the, the chorus is something about the only things you need in life are John Cougar, John Deere, and John 316, Okay, And I heard it just the other day. I think it's a couple of years old at this point. But Megan Trainer could sing, but just about the John. <laughs> she could. I mean, like there's I mean, I forgot about her until this. Um, but now it's like I, I don't remember anything else she ever did except for like she's like, we right. only poop next to each other once. <laughs> it's like, OK, you know, don't know. Once you've admitted this, you've got to own it. You can't yeah. be like, oh, I smoked, but I didn't inhale. You know, yeah, oh, exactly. we only did it once. No, no, no. No. If you have thrones next to each other, we are not going to believe that it's only happened once. Right. You, what is you the did point? this installation. This was something you installed right. this was in your home. Right. This, this was, was this was a lot of effort. Especially done by a contract. Right. This took almost as much effort involved in anything. If you want to just try it, this took almost as much effort as those syringes on Colbert. Yep. Uh, finally, one in four adults, according to a new survey, say they would choose to share a bed with their dog or pet over their spouse or partner. You are a hard nay on the toilets. I feel like you might be more open to this one. Definitely would rather sleep next to my cat, Jeans, than my husband. Um, just because, like. You know, he's been with me longer. He's been sleeping under my chin every single. The cat. Ev- yes, every single night for, you know, 11 years. And where was Cam during that time? He yeah, was with sorry, other Cam. girls. So oh, he was like <laughs> before he the knew country. I existed, he was with other girls. And the cat yeah, was, was with me. Where was he? He was yeah. in Afghanistan. He was that's in all. Afghanistan serving yeah. our country. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cam. You're out. Sheens, you're in. Cat Tim, our friend, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld. You can catch her podcast, Tyrus and Tim as well, foxnewspodcast.com. All right, Cat, we'll talk to you soon. Always enjoy it. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. And the happy hour continues after this. Guy Benson. 
It is the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Some unhappy news for the U.S. economy earlier today. A really dismal jobs report. Missing expectations by a mile. Earlier today, we spoke with Dagan McDowell, our colleague and friend from Fox Business Network about that, inflation, and more. Here's part of my chat with Dagan. Although not a fun day for the American economy, not a fun day at the White House, as they are trying to spin this jobs report, I mean... There are misses, and then there are misses. And today was not even close, was it, Dagan? No, it was a horrible jobs report. 194,000 jobs were added last month. It's There's a labor shortage. There are 11 million jobs that are open that that companies can't fill. And I heard President Biden, his late self, talking about this and bragging about the unemployment rate falling below right. 5%. Well, that's because about, well, almost 200,000 people left the workforce. They stopped looking for work. And so that's why the unemployment rate fell. People of working age who are not even out there trying to find a job. And these clowns are trying to sell the American people a new giant entitlement society, kind of new century welfare, if you will. Well, you need more people working and paying taxes to support this new entitlement society. So I don't know how that's going to go for them. When faced with an untenable situation, they lie. Like listening to Jen Psaki talk about all those ships lined up off the coast of California, and that's not just the only port that's having problems. She said, well, we've got a task force that's on it. What's a task force going to do with filling (laughs) trucking jobs? I digress. No, no, but you're right. There's on the one talking point that they have, which is the unemployment rate dropped. It's because they have a denominator problem, right? The the underlying cause for the drop is actually worse. And when the expectations were from the experts – half a million jobs created, right? That was the expectation, the projection, 500,000 when they – didn't even get to 40% of that number in the month of September. This is the thing, Dagan, coming out of this uh, this COVID mess mm-hmm. with so many people vaccinated and people trying to get back to normal, my anticipation was all they had to do, whether it was Trump or whether it was Biden, no matter who won the election, there was going to be a roaring recovery in the United States, in our economy in 2021, because the economy was fabulous in 2019. We were totally uprooted. All that success was uprooted and interrupted, of course, by this pandemic that started in China. It was covered up and lied about by the Chinese Communist Party. And then we would get a lot of people vaccinated. We would start to get back to normal. And if we didn't screw things up, the bounce back would be really robust and probably pretty quick. And yet that's not what's happening on any of those fronts. COVID is lingering. And they're trying to blame everything on COVID, by the way. We'll yeah, play they did some with sound this. here in a second. Yeah, they did with his jobs report, for sure. Right. And then, and of course, COVID is part of it, although he promised to crush COVID, which has not happened. And they're blaming the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. Their moving target is so obnoxious on what is good enough for uh, for herd immunity. That's another thing that we've talked about with mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci. He said, oh, yeah, we get to 70 percent, we're good, and we're past 70 percent. Well, no, never mind. It's not good enough. It's just one thing after another where the bounce back that I assumed would happen relatively easily uh, clearly is not happening. You mentioned the labor shortage. Why? Why is there such a labor shortage? Some of those you know, government incentives not to work have finally expired. 
Why does this continue to plague our economy? Well, the extra unemployment benefits in the states that didn't cut them early only expired last month. So we haven't seen the full effect of those extra unemployment benefits going away. They increased. So maybe this month, maybe this month, but they increased the child allowance. That extra money started going out uh, to people directly in the month of July. That's part of it. A lot of it is the and you you see greater complication in terms of the workforce at the state and local level with the vaccine mandates. All of the conversation there with Dagan McDowell available online or on the podcast GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The home stretch coming up on this Friday. I've got tickets tonight. 007 James Bond, the last installment with Daniel Craig. We'll talk about that, Bond theme songs, and much more. You won't believe a confession from Cookie. That's straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Happy Friday. Well, I'm especially excited because we've got dinner reservations tonight, and then we're going to see the brand new James Bond movie. Finally, 007 is back. This film has been pushed off multiple times because of covid It's the last Daniel Craig portrayal of Bond in his career, which is kind of a big deal. And I'm just excited to hear this theme song a little bit once again. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. I am stoked for tonight, big time. And it's been... A long wait, as I mentioned, and I have some mixed feelings about it. It has annoyed me that Daniel Craig has kind of rejected the role or kind of hinted or said outright in interviews that he's tired of it. And he just doesn't seem to be as excited and grateful to have a role that most actors would kill for. He's just sort of over it. I don't know. That's his prerogative as an artist or whatever. But I wish he seemed to love his portrayal as James Bond as much as I do, right? I think that's what bothers me. I like him. He's my favorite Bond. He is my favorite Bond. And we can argue about that. And I know the Connery people are going to come after me. And Pierce Brosnan, there's a case to be made for him. There's a few others along the way. Roger Moore. To me, I am about this new era of Bond for a number of reasons. And I just wish that the guy in the role, seem to appreciate it to the level that I do. That's probably how I would encapsulate the frustration that I have. But it doesn't change the fact that my favorite Bond movie ever is Casino Royale, which was Daniel Craig's first. I also really liked Skyfall. And then some of the other ones that he's made have been decent to not so great. Quantum of Solace was kind of a swing and a miss, but still better, I would say, than a lot of the older Bond stuff. And if you're an old school Bond fan, I'm sure you're shouting at your radio. It's just my personal taste. I don't love the camp as much, right? The camp versions, if you will. Campy is what I'm talking about, not summer camp, of some of the older Bond and those portrayals. And I know people like that he's portrayed in previous movies as silky smooth and very debonair with no real edge to him, whereas Daniel Craig's Bond is extremely intense. 
And I think the movies are maybe just a tiny bit more realistic. I'll put that in quotes in this current era. And I like that. I prefer that to the older stuff. That's my personal belief and preference. And you are more than welcome to disagree. So it's the end of an era with this movie. I don't know who the next Bond is going to be. We did briefly discuss that here on the show. Some people were saying, well, it ought to be a woman. No, it ought not be a woman. James Bond is a dude. If you did a spinoff series about one of the other double O agents who's a woman, I would 100% be there to watch it. But James Bond needs to be James Bond, and we'll see who they end up casting. But I've enjoyed Daniel Craig. It started with a bang. I saw Casino Royale twice in the theaters. I never do that. A repeat view where you plunk down money twice to go to the theater, I did it twice. I loved it that much. I happened to see last night because Dan sent it to our group text, and it was late, but I opened it anyway. This link, it's a piece in Esquire ranking from 1 to 24, all of the Bond movies, the opening credit theme songs, right? There's usually a very prominent musical artist who performs a song with every movie. And so this guy at Esquire, in fact, it was a team of editors at Esquire. It wasn't just one person having a bad opinion. It was a team of people having bad opinions about these rankings. And I don't disagree with all of the rankings, right? Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney, fine. They put that number one. That's a good song. We all know that song. We all recognize that song. In fact, at the Five for Fighting concert I was at a few weeks ago, John Andrasik played that song. He covered it. Goldfinger is also listed as number three. Shirley Bassey, that's a very famous one. Back from the olden days of Bond, it's a fun movie. I enjoyed it. Goldfinger, like we know it, right? I have no problem with those two being in the top five. What I do have a problem with is the new No Time to Die song by Billie Eilish. Right, this is the new movie, the new song that I guess I'll watch tonight in the credits. They have it in the top five. They have it number four ever. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. And it's not just because Billie Eilish is a big lib and is always out there screaming about. And this is not about Billie Eilish being a big lib and constantly being out there screaming about abortion. I don't care about that. I try to separate artists from their politics or else I would go crazy. This song just doesn't do it for me. I think it's boring. I think it's just middling. It's not awful. It is not the fourth best ever. And then where you start to get me really ticked off since I'm on this tangent, is you scroll all the way down to number 16 to get to Skyfall by Adele, which is really good. The movie was good. The theme song was awesome. I'm an Adele fan. She's got the new album out, right? So uh, that's cause for excitement. I'm not a huge Adele person, but I loved the song Skyfall with that piano coming in. This is the end. She, By the way, we aren't playing these songs for you because we don't have the rights to put them on the podcast. <laughs> and the home stretch on the podcast and Bonus Benson might sound really lame if we're talking about music that we then play but have to cut out for the podcast. So instead, you can be treated to me doing my best 
to try to sing some of these songs quite badly. Actually, we should have had Dan do them because Dan at least had a pretty good audition for for American Idol. I uh, would not dare try out for a singing competition show. Let the sky fall. Na, na, na. Something together. Yeah, that's how the song goes. You've heard it. It was big when the movie came out. 2012, I want to say. I can't believe it's been nine years. Good song, but they've got it listed 16th out of 24, which is just garbage. And then worst, and I'll shut up about the Bond songs in just a second. Their worst single decision is they have ranked dead last You Know My Name by Chris Cornell, which was the intro to Casino Royale with the really cool sort of animated cutout of James Bond running through a poker game and shooting. And and you've got all the different poker-related themes in this animation. I love that opening sequence. I thought the song was great. It was not smooth and cool like you'd hear someone crooning in a nightclub. It's intense. It's violent. It's visceral. It's exactly the type of intro that you want for this new era at the time of James Bond with Daniel Craig. It fit Daniel Craig. It fit the new version of Bond. is so good and they just demean it as not only okay but in fact the worst forgettable Mm -mm. I am uh, I'm a strong strong dissenter on that assessment I would say you know my name by Chris Cornell is one of my favorite Bond theme songs that entire soundtrack of Casino Royale was great Right, the little uh, Vesper motif, right? The Bond girl in that movie, she had this little series of piano notes that clearly referred to her and sort of haunting later in the movie. Anyway, I will move on from this. But I just wanted to, ahead of tonight's viewing of the new movie, say that I have heard the Billie Eilish song and I'm not super into it. And I forcefully reject the Esquire editor's and their assessments on this whole list. And I know talking earlier, Dan is in agreement with me overall on this stuff. Dan, are you going to go see the movie this weekend? I'm actually going tonight to see it as well. I'm very excited about it. Um, I agree with you on Daniel Craig. Love him. I also have an opposition view. I do like the Pierce Brosnan ones. I don't... Oh, I don't dislike that. No, I think I think he was a really good Bond. Uh, GoldenEye was a great Bond movie, probably his best. And I have nothing bad to say about Brosnan as Bond. He was sort of a very central casting, traditional Bond that was starting to modernize the franchise. And then they went to a whole nother level with Daniel Craig. That is my read on it. By the way, Dan, you and I are sort of aligning in our entertainment viewing recently. We both were watching Squid Game at the same time. We both watched the Chappelle special last night. We're both going to Bond tonight, all separately, but I endorse all of these choices, especially as compared to producer Christine. And we learned this earlier, another layer of the cookie onion comes off. Christine, you have never seen a Bond film ever, any of them? Nope, not one. 
Why? It's not that I'm purposely not, you know, going out of my way to to not see it, but I it just. Uh... There's a lot of double negatives there. I I feel like this is some double talk here by Cookie. I think it's because you are a spy. You're a spy. You were trained by the Kremlin. We've we've talked about this before. This is part of my theory on you. Why would you go see a fictional movie about spies when you know what the real thing is really about? That's my theory, as you were just rambling there with all I I didn't not not avoid to not watch. Like this this is a traditional deflection tactic to get us all confused. I have to say, I, I did uh, ask my husband if he wanted to see the, the movie. He's like, yeah, you want to see it? I said, well, I've never seen any other, so sure. And he looked at me and he goes, I feel like some days I just don't know you. Yeah, same. Especially now after this Bond revelation, you've seen none of them. After four plus decades on this earth as an American, get out of here. All right, here is your homework assignment, should you choose to accept it, which is a Mission Impossible reference. I don't know if you've seen any of those movies. Probably not. But this weekend, maybe ship your lovely daughter, Megan, off to Judgey Joyce's house, and you just need to do a binge session. Why don't you start with Goldfinger, GoldenEye, Casino Royale. If you don't like those movies, it's kind of a lost cause. Then you can move on to Squid Game, but just be forewarned, that's uh, pretty intense stuff. All right, and then we can all come back on Monday, talk about the new movie, at least Dan and I can, and we can see if you have finally rectified this situation and watched at least one Bond movie. That's the game plan heading into the weekend. I'm so excited. Going to see the movie tonight. In the meantime, please set your DVRs or tune in this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, The Big Show on Fox News Channel, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Both of those days, I'll be co-hosting. Back here on the radio on Monday, it's The Guy Benson Show. Have a fabulous few days off. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.